Welcome to Surviving the Ground, everybody. This is your host, Jay Adante, with my father, co-host, Joe Adante. We're coming at you from cleanfeed.net here, trying to continue the podcast on a remote basis. Um, Say hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. (laughs) Classic. How's it going, Jay? It's been a while since we did a podcast. I'm I'm excited about... uh, there actually being some sports to talk about. Yeah, well, at least we finally, uh, you know, <clears throat> was ashamed to see some of the audio from the Skype was was kind of uh, fun to play around with. But uh, hopefully this turns out a little better. Um, but yeah, it's been a while, and now we're finally a little closer. We're so close. We're within reaching distance of the NFL season for 2020 starting up. Um, tons of news to go around. Um, September 10th is game number one, Chiefs versus Texans. You're talking about a possible high-flying game of excitement, depending on whether or not uh, the Chiefs are ready to go or if Deshaun Watson has found some new weapons in the meantime because the Chiefs' defense can be kind of suspect, as we've noted over the years. But uh, but I'm definitely excited for this Thursday night matchup. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement, obviously, good being the first game of the season. Uh, but like you say, I don't know how this game, how one-sided this game is going to be. I mean, obviously, the Chiefs are, are a way better team than the Texans. And now uh, the Texans lost uh, DeAndrea Hopkins. Uh, so you have to wonder, uh, this, this could be a big blowout, potentially. Yeah, from that perspective, um, you know, the Chiefs really haven't lost a whole lot of... Um... Uh, of their edge as far as like the main talent is concerned. And I mean, obviously they lost, um, they lost McCoy. McCoy had gone to, um, he'd gone over to the Bucks, I believe. Um, but the reality was, you know, that he was kind of, I mean, he's a good addition to the team and everything, but they, they have other running backs they can count on. Um, well, yeah. In fact, uh, I know they had picked up a, uh, uh, a key, rookie who uh, might not be their starter in in game one but uh, probably going to have a huge impact and maybe become the starter eventually Um, yeah no they you know I mean the truth is obviously on the on the key position factor you know that their their position players are all going to be eerily similar to the ones that you know you had seen you know, just winning the Super Bowl. So realistically, as long as they've been able to warm up okay, I mean, obviously I think that first quarter is going to be really boring, but, you know, because uh, the Chiefs don't tend to start out quick. But, um, but you know, by the end of that game, I think realistically they should be able to put on a good show. Um, well, no, we were looking at some of their, some of the week one matchups, and um, uh, most of them is, you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of you know they're gonna win kind of moments. Um, I know we were mainly we were mainly squabbling over the NFC North, and it's not because uh, you know we want to have a fight about it, but it's because all the teams are so suspect when they play each other that that you you don't really know. It's hard to predict who's gonna win NFC North games. Well, yeah, I mean. You've got two teams, the Vikings and the Packers, are clearly the two best teams in the league, and then the Bears and Lions are clearly the, the bottom two teams. But really, anybody can beat anybody. 
We were talking the other day, you and I, that uh, you look at the, the Minnesota Vikings and uh, living in Chicago, our thought is is that eh, they're they're okay, but not great. But really, they have a, an excellent team. It's just that the Bears have, have beaten them four times in a row you know, over the last two years. So to us, they seem like they're not that good. Whereas the Packers have beaten us uh, four straight times over the last two years. So sometimes, you know, it depends on how you match up against the other team. Yeah, uh, The Bears match up a lot better against Minnesota than the Packers. And the reason is, is that there's no Aaron Rodgers on Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bears... Seems like nine times out of ten, the Bears get befuddled by uh, by Aaron Rodgers personally, and they always go down to defeat. I mean, heck, that one game uh, a couple of years ago, they were up twenty to nothing. Well, you mean the, in the third you, quarter, and they ended up losing. <laughs> you mean the dry, the the painkiller game? <laughs> is that what? It was? Well, that's when they that's when Aaron Rodgers disappeared with an obvious injury, and then came back uh, looking like he he had literally been. Uh, someone had dumped a bag of painkillers into his system, and he somehow still managed to put up, you know, unbelievable numbers coming back. You could tell he was super aloof. You could tell he was, he was just out there, just you know, he had to be on something, you know. Well, I don't know. It it looked like it, but <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Well, so they. So now we also, in week one, we get to, well, we're every week, I guess, not just week one, but week one, we get to finally see uh, the new the new branded Raiders. We get to see the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, and they're taking on Carolina, and Carolina has Teddy Bridgewater now um, as their starter, but I don't know much about other than McCaffrey. I don't know much about their other skill position players, but the Raiders have been touted... Um, John Gruden's actually uh, been touted very well with making a lot of really good rookie and free agent acquisitions. Um, and the Raiders are supposedly really showing up well in camp. So uh, I know they just picked up Henry Ruggs in the draft from Alabama. Uh, and they still have uh, Renfro and, uh, oh no, uh, Waller and uh, Waller from last year. Um, people making some second-year breakouts. So um, I'm actually kind of excited to see the Las Vegas Raiders and see where that goes. Yeah, you know, you can move your city. I don't know that that's going to have that huge an effect on the team. Like I said, the draft picks and so forth might help. I, the Ravens are at, at home, and uh, they've got Lamar Jackson, who was really a revelation last year. It would be hard to imagine Cleveland winning that game. I mean, upsets happen, and if, if you're gonna if you're gonna surprise somebody and ambush somebody, the first game of the season's the time to do it. So <laughs> anybody could win, but I gotta believe that the the Baltimore is gonna be a, a heavy, heavy favorite in that game. You'd have to go with them. So I'm a little confused because I was talking about the Raiders. <laughs> Sorry, I was in the wrong game. <laughs> I was confusing Ravens with Raiders in my brain. Oh, that's good radio. <laughs> just to leave them confused for a little while. No, I could get it. Raiders, Ravens. It's just kind of similar. Yeah, you, uh, said, Ra- you said Raiders, but in my brain thought Ravens. And... Well, I love that you even said you can change your city. And then you yeah, went with the Baltimore yeah. Ravens game. 
Um, well, that, that's I mean, I, that's a, that's an exciting game. I mean, I I, I God, I must I not know. be awake. I must not be awake yet. I guess. <laughs> it is a little That's early, I guess. Um, Cleveland and Baltimore; those games are always a huge shock. I mean, however you feel about the Browns, the reality is that those games, those games are always uh, uh, quite exciting and come usually come down to some kind of interesting conclusion. Although, since the introduction of Lamar Jackson, uh, the conclusions are usually a little more one sided. But um, but that's going to be a fun, you know, interseries kind of game to watch. And I know the big one that a lot of people are super excited to see. Now, obviously, is the the new revamped Tampa Bay Bucks with Tom Brady and and Gronk and and you know LaShawn Jack or LaShawn uh, McCoy, and they're um, really excited to see you know does Tom Brady still have it and you know is he a this is that is he a system quarterback kind of question that people want to want to find out if he can do the same thing in Tampa Bay, but of course they're taking on the Saints, which is going to be. Um, interesting because i know their defense is okay you know it's not it's not a bad defense necessarily but it's been known to give up points in the past um uh, i know we have a different take on this one because i'm just gonna go ahead and you know play what i believe you know the the interesting line to be and i'm wondering you know both quarterbacks are on the older side you know um you know I think it'd be exciting to see Tampa Bay win, but I know you've got you've got an interesting feeling about that towards the Saints. Yeah, you know the thing is, uh, this is probably you're right. It's probably most intriguing game maybe uh, in the week because of all the things you mentioned, and certainly it'd be fascinating to see what happens at Tampa Bay. Like you say, how, how much these guys have left in the tank? You know, even Gronkowski. I mean, who knows? I mean, he's going to come back, and because of all of his injuries over the years, and and just you know, be kind of more on the mediocre side, or is he still uh, going to be somewhat of a star? Uh, that's going to be a fascinating team to watch. You're absolutely right. Uh, I do favor the Saints in this game, and this is one of the rare, rare games that Drew Brees will ever play, where he's the young quarterback. Uh, <laughs> I think he's what 41 or something like that now. So, uh, but I, the Saints are just incredibly tough to beat at home. Uh, they get all revved up, and of course, you know, indoors, and the, the record at home is just unbelievable. So I, I would tend to favor the Saints uh, because of the home field advantage. If it was at Tampa Bay, I might might flip on that. But uh, New Orleans was very good last year, yeah, and they should be very good this year. And they're just really, really tough at home. Well, and they're already a set system and everything, and obviously that's they haven't had a too much change in their main you know, core group of guys, realistically, you know, that also works in your favor as, you know, people who've worked together for longer. Um, the other one on the schedule, I think was kind of a toss up for me was, uh, the chargers and the Bengals playing each other. Um, I know the Bengals are at home and now they're dealing with, uh, Joe Burrow now as their, as their starter. Um, and apparently he's been doing very well in practice and has, you know, has, you know, led people to be a little more excited about this year. But and I know the Chargers lost Phillip Rivers, which, you know, pros and cons to that situation. Um, but now they're being led by Tyrod Taylor. So realistically, it's uh, that's kind of one of those games where um, I'm not, I, if you told me it was going to be an exciting game, I would say, Sure, I could see that. I could understand. 
Um, the Bengals still have a lot of good offensive weapons. You know, they've got a fairly tight receiving core and uh, good tight end play and everything. But uh, but if you also told me that game was a complete goose egg, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that either. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's going to be a really, really tough game to call because of all these changes you mentioned. And obviously Joe Burrow, the big one, um, it's extremely unusual for a rookie quarterback to just come right out of the gate in their first game and and be spectacular, especially now that we haven't had any preseason games. So it's going to be doubly so, hard to predict. Um, so Joe Burrow is going to be the big question mark there. He, obviously, he was sensational in college. And, uh, you know, he will be a good quarterback in the NFL almost assuredly. But, you know, this is the first game of his career. So it, you know, we'll have to see. I, and, of course, the big thing is the Chargers' defense, I think, will be key. Um, they've had a pretty good defense last few years. Will that return in stymie Cincinnati? We'll have to we'll have to see. That that's a really really tough game to call. I'd have to give the edge to the Chargers like you did. Yeah. But uh, that that's really kind of a kind of a toss up at this point in time because there's so many moving pieces. Of course, one thing you didn't mention is the Chargers lost Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I forgot about and, that. Um, that's. You know, is that going to be a big loss? I don't know. They've got some depths. They got Austin Eckler, obviously, and uh, Justin Jackson. I think is still there. Um, so we'll we'll see. A lot a lot of moving parts there in that game. Well, I know some people moved. Do Do you remember where Melvin went? Uh, Melvin. Uh, oh, he went to the Broncos. Broncos. Yeah, yeah. He's with the Broncos now. So boy, you want to talk about a crowded backfield there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they already had two good running backs there, and now you had Melvin Gordon. So well, that's been some weird, some weird uh, moving around because you also have Todd Gurley moving around. He went to the Falcons, so that's gonna it's some interesting running back moving. Um, well, running backs translate pretty good. You know, if you move a quarterback between teams or or certain other positions, sometimes it may take a little while to to really get up to speed. Uh, you know, running backs though, just by the by the nature of the beast. Uh, they pretty much hit the ground running, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but they do. They it just like uh, in the draft. You know, you draft a quarterback. It usually takes quite a while for them to really get their sea legs in the NFL. But running back, pretty much right away, mm-hmm. um, you're going to find out about them. Rare cases might take them a season, but usually, they, you know, as I were talking earlier, just a quick uh, aside, I was talking about. Uh, this rookie in Kansas City, and uh, I had a, a brain freeze at the time. His name is Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and of course he was phenomenal in college. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if he starts. You know, we're thinking he will. If you look at uh, any of these uh, fantasy football sites, he's rated really a high pick, you know, generally in the top, you know, ten or fifteen. So it just kind of shows these running backs, they usually, if, they, if they're if they selected as the starters, they get right into the action right away and are, are, are productive, although they can certainly get better. Well, speaking of some interesting week one matchups that people are probably going to want to see, um, the AFC East, uh, after losing Tom Brady, is still taking on some very interesting matchups. Uh, week one here, we've got, uh, you know, I was about to say you got the Bills versus the Jets, and then you've got 
a big one with the Patriots taking on the Dolphins. Um, the Patriots and Dolphins ones is, is going to be an interesting game. You're talking about um, possibly the introduction of Tua into a lineup. Um, I, I don't know if the key thought was that he was going to be starting yet. Uh, I assume Fitzpatrick is still over there. Um, but but that's one of those things where, um, I mean, New England now, they have Cam, and y- you don't know what kind of form Cam's going to return to, or obviously it doesn't matter how good, um, you know, how good people are going to be if, if they're still kind of injury-prone. So realistically... Um, New England really has all the same weapons, but now, but now, obviously, you're missing Tom Brady. So, um, I'm that's kind of, a, of excited a, to see that's them. That's a pretty big miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm kind of excited to see how um, how Miami plays that game. I'm more I'm more excited to see how Miami plays into it. Yeah, you know, if uh, if we were talking a year ago about this game, uh, people would think uh, we're absolutely nuts to even think that Miami would have a chance against New England, but. Uh, after Miami actually was pretty hot at the end of the year, uh, incredibly with Fitzpatrick at the helm. And, of course, like I say, New England lost Tom Brady. And uh, some of those players, that, you know, they don't have Gronkowski and they, just, they haven't had for a while. So their running game is uh, not really very effective yeah, last year anyway. So, you know, Miami has a chance in that game. I mean, obviously, you'd have to give the Patriots the edge if I were a, a betting man, but uh, especially since it's at New England, and, of course, they still have that, that great defense. I think I think the New England defense is going to determine that game. But Yeah. But we saw, Dolphin, but we Dolphins saw, beat but, them but, last yeah, year. I was going to say, we saw Miami overcome that. Apparently, yeah. right now on Miami's, uh, a couple of days ago on Miami's Twitter, they, they, um, they tweeted that... Uh, in a in a live scrimmage practice with the Dolphins, uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick just just threw a uh, did a no look pass on on camera in the middle of a full scrimmage, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get his Mahomes on. Um, so that's an interesting game to watch and see how that kind of runs. I mean, the AFC East is a little open at this point, but the main team obviously to look out for now is going to be Buffalo. Um, Allen's looking to make a, you know, a nice splash this year, and uh, luckily they get to, they get to start their quest off on the Jets, I guess. So, um, a team that's still, you know, just kind of reeling uh, throughout the years. Um, uh, the, you know, the last time they were particularly successful, I mean, it was, I mean, you got to be talking over a decade of like true success on that franchise. Well, at least, yeah. I mean, that, that's one team we can safely say is is still bad. Is the Jets? Yeah, because I know they've been. Um, I know that they've been basically they've been touting still. You know, Sam Darnold, you know, hanging in there, and you know, but they keep not really surrounding him with a lot of weapons that he needs, and. Um, and honestly, it's just, you know, they don't ever seem to make any true strides towards, you know, quality. So it kind of keeps putting you in this position where you don't really, you know, it's really hard to buy into them. I mean, obviously, I would say if you're talking about who's going to win the AFC East, I mean, uh, in order, I think I'd probably say 
Uh, it's going to really depend on how Miami's, all of Miami's draft picks and other things end up working out for them. Um, but I think you still, you'd have to give the edge to the Bills, and then you'd have to say, I'd have to still put New England as the second favorite. Yeah. And then, and then Miami, but I think Miami's a lot closer to New England than they used to be. And then I think the Jets are a, are a distant fourth place in that division. Well, Buffalo came very close last year, even uh, unseating the Patriots. Yeah. So they certainly are capable of doing it this year. But, uh, yeah, I always, I would still have to say Miami is, is definitely third, and, of course, the Jets will be fourth. Well, speaking of Miami, now they're talking about, um, you know, a lot of these stadiums. I mean, even the Bears were talking about um, – you know, either returning returning season ticket holder money and <clears throat> allowing people to hold their spe- their spot, you know, as season ticket holders. Because um, obviously most teams are trying to play on the air of caution and they're, you know, they're basically just not allowing fans to go to the games. And Miami decided that they were going to try and set a cap limit and try and, you know, tr- try and manufacture you know put their hand you know control the crowd size a bit and they've limited their capacity to 13,000 people showing up at Miami's um um games and everything and uh, I was about to say their week one game but their week one game is in New England so that's not going to work out um but but they've talked about actually allowing you know a crowd to be there uh I know this is no surprise for Florida, I guess, but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a little surprised by the general inaction of of them ruling that out because it seems like honestly at this point we should be lucky enough that players are getting to play, let alone introducing thousands of people to a crowd, you know, within a, a stadium confined. Well, that that can change. Uh, you know, right now you've got. Baseball uh, going on, hockey playoffs, basketball players, none of them have any fans. So I think you're talking about the the opening game is going to be less than two weeks away uh, to open up the NFL season. They they can change this. I, I would be really surprised if, if there's any appreciable fans, at least in the early games. Because what's going to change in two weeks? You know, yeah. I mean, as far as the, the uh, pandemic, probably not a whole lot. So yeah. I, I I have a my guess is that at least to start the season there probably won't be any fans at all. Yeah. In the stands. Because uh, they would, if nothing else, I mean they would look bad compared to the other three major sports that all have no fans. Well, you would hope so, and the and the reality is, um, you know they've already sat here and they've tried to determine that you're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, we can't do a bubble. It's 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 insane. It's an insane thought, you know, and it's sad that hockey and basketball have gone have you know succeeded within the pandemic so well by bubbling um and obviously the mlb has suffered a fair amount from not doing so um but it's it's just going to be really interesting to see how they've gone i mean at this point i mean whatever they're doing the, the problem is what they're doing right now is they're like this is great you know we've we've had some good results so far you know teams are being safe but obviously there haven't there hasn't been any travel yet right um you know with, but within just practicing amongst people i mean from august 12th to 20th there were no positive tests um which you know in and of itself you know i i it is a positive you know it it is a it is a good uplook that the reality is even when there's no travel involved 
I know how stupid people can be. You know, and the reality is that somehow they've managed to avoid it up to this point. Um, so, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens once travel gets involved and, uh, you know, whether or not they can actually um, maintain this level of safety. The reality is, uh, you know, people just, they have to be so caught in their mindset on, you know, avoiding you know, avoiding the usual routines, any routines that could possibly open you up to the possibility of an, of infection. Yeah. You know, you're right. It's really uh, on several points. It's, it's amazing that there haven't been any positive test results, but you know, the problem with, with football compared to the other three sports, football really is, is a huge disadvantage when it comes to trying to pull off this season. Obviously you've got the NHL playoffs, and the NBA playoffs, they're happening in a bubble. So those people are really sealed off from the outside world. So if you can contain what happens inside the bubble, uh, you're going to be good to go. So those are smooth. And then baseball, you know, they've had a lot of cancellations. And, of course, the difference between baseball and football is you can cancel baseball games. And you can make them up. You can play on off days or you can schedule out these, these seven-inning doubleheaders that they're doing. But the problem is with football, if you need to start canceling, if you have to start canceling games because there's a breakout, there's just no way to make them up. Yeah, so, no. So football's at a huge disadvantage. And, of course, you can say, well, we'll base it on winning percentage or whatever, like, like baseball has said. But it, it's not so easy to do when you only have a 16-game schedule. Yeah. So I think football's at a huge disadvantage, and I, I hope – that they play all 16 games and get into the playoffs. They'll have to think about maybe a bubble for the playoffs, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But but football's really got an uphill battle, and and I guess the earlier point, that's why I'm really surprised we're even talking about ha- having fans at all. I, I think it will change. My prediction is it'll they won't have fans initially, but yeah. I'm surprised they're even thinking about it because if you have to start canceling football games, uh, there's just no way to make them up. Yeah. <sighs> Well, yeah, and that's going to be a very interesting, um, very interesting just development to see. To see, I mean, it's it's a situation obviously no one, none of us have been through before. Um, but I know, typically speaking, by human nature, it's been it hasn't resulted in a lot of the smartest decisions uh, being made. Um, so I see. I wanted to kind of go over, you know, I guess you know, being in Chicago based show we should probably touch on um you know what little is what little there is to gain from bears news at this point um going a little off the cuff here but obviously the bears brought back cairo santos to compete um well that'll lock that'll lock in a playoff spot for sure (laughs) well i know obviously he had gotten he, he had gotten cut off the roster because of an injury um but you know, Santos record by itself. I mean, it's not like he's a, you know, it's not like he's a Robbie gold caliber field goal kicker. No, no. And that, once again, that gets kind of at the heart of, you know, one of many reasons why the bears have not been very good, you know, in recent years. And they had the one good year a couple of years ago, but for the most part in recent years, they haven't been very good and they're terrible last year. Made a lot of mistakes uh, in the draft, and a lot of mistakes as far as who to cut and who to not cut. 
and uh, hope they'll probably come come back to to roost. And I always have to laugh. This has been going on for decades. Is teams always minimize the importance of field goal kickers? And I always have to laugh because they go from team to team like a bunch of nomads. And these are guys that can determine your season. <laughs> they can determine whether you make the playoffs or not. You saw it happened two years ago. I mean, the Bears had this magnificent. 12-4 and four season. It really came out of the blue. The defense was sensational. Uh, the offense even was pretty good for the most part. And uh, all kind of lost in the first game of the playoffs because of want of a field goal kicker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So people got to look at the whole team, and these field goal kickers are important. And you can't just go on the cheap, like when they release gold. Uh, they did it because they wanted to, to go on the cheap. You know, it's just like quarterbacks. Uh, I don't go on too long a diatribe, but the quarterback is the same thing. Now, I know it's hard because quarterbacks are making 30-plus million now, you know, the star quarterback. So I, I get it. They don't want to pay that kind of money. But the bottom line is you're, you're not going to win a Super Bowl if you don't have a superstar quarterback. It, it's it's very unusual. It's happened a couple of times, but it's very unusual. Yeah, just look at last year, you know, which, you know, there's no doubt in my mind San Francisco is a better team than Kansas City far as the whole team and we said that during the broadcast yeah but they don't have patrick mahomes in san francisco or anybody close <laughs> to that you know no one even in the ballpark yeah nor do the bears the bears don't have anybody that they could match up with san francisco's quarterbacks <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess the the real thing is going back on quarterbacks but you um obviously the acquisition of Foles um in the offseason was a big I, in my opinion, it's it's a big step for them to take to see, you know, I know he had an interesting year in the Jaguars with injury and everything. Um, but uh, obviously, it seems like there's a little bit of confusion as to who's going to end up starting. I mean, my guess would obviously be Trubisky. you'll see Trubisky first anyway, because they want to either give him a chance to play well, or obviously, it's easy to replace him with Foles if he plays poorly. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't I know agree. your thoughts think, on it, but I he'll probably start. start. I think he'll probably start. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not the initial starter, but I think he's going to be on a short leash. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he has a horrible first half if he gets pulled for the second half. And that wouldn't necessarily mean that he's lost the job. He might start again week two, but I, I'd be surprised I'd be surprised if uh, if Foles was the starter for game one but on the other hand like I say I think whoever's out there is gonna be on a short leash well and then uh talking about some uh, some past bears news I know this kind of brings up a little more current politics talk um so I know Brian Erlacher's been on the hot seat um in the last few days I don't know how much you know about this whole thing going on um, have you heard much about him lately? I think I've heard more about his hair than about anything else. But, uh, <laughs> well, well, this isn't necessarily unrelated, I guess. Um, either that or the CTE is getting a little too close to his brain. Um, but, uh, he had, you know, there've been some interesting things. I'd received a text from a friend who likes to troll me a lot that showed that he had visited the president in March in the Oval Office. And, you know, and the friend likes to kind of provoke me to be like, oh, you know, anyone who even is in the same room 
as as Trump. You know, he like he, he likes to try and get my goat. He also gave me a picture of Mike Singletary with the with the with the president, and you know, he's trying to make me completely turn on these people. Um, but uh, but Brian Erlacher lately, uh, there's been a couple crazy ones where obviously he he made some he made some very controversial commentary about NBA players boycotting the playoffs. Um, basically he, he had, uh, he basically, he had an Instagram post that was deleted and he had said, he had said that NBA players boycotting the playoffs because a dude reaching for a knife wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant was shot by police. Um, he he had compared it to Brett Favre playing Monday Night Football the day his dad died, threw four touchdowns in the first half, and was a legend for playing in the face of adversity. Um, and he basically he was <laughs> trying to trying to rally Brett Favre playing because his dad died to NBA. You know, why are the NBA players boycotting over the Jacob Blake shooting? Um. Uh, it was horrifyingly tone deaf, and I guess now the Bears are distancing themselves from him. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I, I actually saw that. Yeah, recently with their statements and everything. Obviously, that his post does not reflect the values or opinions of the Bears organization. Um, I know the Bears had actually canceled practice Thursday. Um, committing to making a real difference was part of their statement. Um, I thought it was terrifying. To see, uh, you know, one of the craziest things about this whole, uh, about the presidency, about the virus, about everything, is that it's really taken the mask off of a lot of people who've been um, laying in wait all this time. Um, and one of the saddest things to see is, uh, you know, some of these people that you think are, you know, were kind of heroes at the time or people you looked up to and you, um, a lot of this has really pulled the veil back. And really shown a lot of people for who they are, because the reality is I have to look at Brian Erlacher and tell you that I don't think it's a new development. I think it's just feeling like you can be more in the open. That's absolutely 100 percent on the money. And uh, and I'm sorry, we, I'm so, before you start, I'm sorry we don't have a dissenting opinion in this because I'm assuming no, I'm not I, being I crazy, obviously. So, no, I. I, I the thing is, is that uh, he's not alone. Uh, you know, I'm trying to formulate <laughs> my response is, is that, uh, and you kind of imply this, is the thing is, you know, he's not alone. There's an awful lot of people that feel that um, that this is no big deal. You know, the police shooting uh, a guy in the back. And um, obviously they try to rationalize by saying, well, he was going for a knife, which, you know, maybe he was, I, I don't know. Or they can say that... Uh, he was, uh, you know, acting suspiciously. He wasn't obeying police orders. I hear that a lot. You know, people who end up getting, uh, you know, beat up like Rodney King, for example. That was a reason for that. Allegedly, he wasn't following the police orders, you know, to get down on the ground. So you can kind of rationalize uh, shooting somebody uh, or treating them badly or whatever. And so, you know, you're not going to get... A hundred percent agreement or disagreement on on uh, this particular topic, and it does 
it does reveal people, but not necessarily that they're good or bad intrinsically. It just reveals what their belief system is. You know, what's what is their values system? And like I say, it's neither good nor bad, but it's just there's there's differences. You know, you and I may agree that we think the shooting was not necessary, and uh, and that Erlacher's comments are very tone deaf. I think the majority of people in the country would say that, but there's a pretty healthy group, probably a third of the country, that would disagree. And um, you know, it just kind of illustrates once again, there's when it comes to value systems, there's really no right or wrong or good or bad. It's just that there are there are differences. In this case, you know, two things you got to remember. This, to me, is, is how you evaluate things. One is that when you look at a police shooting, and I'm not looking at who the victim was. When we look at a police shooting, the, uh, the actions of the police have to meet the crime. They have to be in the same level as the crime. So uh, if you're chasing a murderer, for example, or you're chasing... You know, you're actually in a fight with somebody and you have to use lethal force, you know, that can probably be justified. But in this case, someone's just walking back to their car. They've already tased them twice. Yeah. And, you know, did they need to shoot him in the back? You well, know, yeah. Maybe, and I, well, and it's even it's the fact that it's the, it's the like seven shots in the back. That, well, that that that's that, the second point I was going to get to is that only if you shoot him once or twice, but. You shoot him seven times. Yeah, it seems, you know, it's kind of hard to little, say. Seems a little heavy-handed. Seems hard to believe that you can say that you are in fear for your life. Yeah, well, there, you know, it becomes one of those things where you, you see, you know, someone goes, "Well, what would you do if you were in that situation?" And you go, "Well, I mean, the problem is I, I haven't been trained to be a police officer." You know, it's like asking me what I would do in a military maneuver. I don't fucking know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not in the military. I haven't been trained on the matters of de-escalation and on the matters of, you know, when, when to, you know, go in and how to act. You know, the reality is they're supposed to be held at a different level because they do not teach you that someone walks in their car, you grab their shirt and shoot them in the back. I mean, that's not, that's not part of police training. I mean, it's some police training unsanctioned police training, I guess, sometimes. But, um, you know, it ends up being one of those things where, you know, God, it's just, it is so tone deaf to hear comments um, from Brian Urlacher and, and people like that because you keep sitting there and on top of the shooting itself, you then have the Kyle Rittenhouse development. Um, you have someone from Illinois you know, driving 40 minutes to Kenosha, you know, with an assault rifle to protect some car dealership that has no affiliation with him. You know, finding yeah, a set yeah, of that, property to protect, you know, protect in quotes that basically is like, a, you know, I didn't hire him to do it, you know. Well, it's the second part of Erlacher's uh, issue as well. I guess he, he allegedly liked an Instagram post that called for. Kyle Rittenhouse uh, to be released from police custody. Yeah. So that was the kind of the second thing that got Urlacher in trouble. You know, that one, I, to me, that one's a little more black and white as far as the wrongness. Now, 
there will be people out there that say, well, you know, he was being chased by people, and that's why you know he had to shot, he had to shoot to defend himself. And I think there's actually a somewhat of a chance that he will get off. You know, he'll be tried, but I think there's somewhat of a chance he'll get off because of self-defense. But but here's the thing to me. Uh, he shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Yeah. For, for first of all, he's underage. Yeah. He's only seventeen. You have to be eighteen to carry a gun. And so that's number one. And number two is we shouldn't have vigilantes out there. Yeah. I know well, the police were were not really doing their job. They're letting these vigilantes walk around. But getting back to your point, which is an excellent one, is these guys are not trained. You know, yeah. one, they haven't been trained, so they don't know how to, how to handle situations. And, and two, they haven't been vetted. You know, we don't know that there might be some crazy people out there. Uh, they just want to go shoot somebody, you know, just for the thrill. Well, and they were saying, you know, as much as he might be able to argue the second call, you know, the second shooting, the first shooting where he shot a man in the head at the car dealership, there's no, there's no plea of self-defense for that. The reality is it sounds like he literally was able to, he fired like three shots, four shots off before finally hitting this person in the head. And all they were doing was breaking, you know, windows and stuff. I mean, the reality was it, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I mean, I've thought even from someone who's not trained that if I had a gun and even if I was defending my own house, um, I look at the way he handled the gun and the way he handled the situation. And my thought is if you point a gun at people, usually the intimidation factor is enough to make someone stop. Am I, and at least that should be your first thought of action should be worst case scenario. I just have a gun and I'm pointing at the ground or whatever. I'm just, I have it on me and I walk up to you. You should go, Oh my God, he has a gun. I should probably chill out kind of moment, you know, where you're not even going to point it at someone. You don't even have to do that because so much teaching proves that you should not put your finger on a trigger or point a gun at someone unless you're going to shoot them. You're willing to do that, you know, because you can accidentally do it. You know, you can you can accidentally slip a trigger and, and shoot. So um, I look at that and I go, this doesn't seem like one of those situations. My guess is he gave those people at the car dealership no warning of any kind. It was basically just like, hey, get away. And then you just put the gun up and started shooting, you know, because he's going to be like, oh, they were breaking property. It was I was within my rights yeah. or whatever. It's not your property. You don't need to be there. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. I, I was thinking of the of the two people that he shot. Who were chasing him more well, so? I was talking the, about self defense. Well, yes, to see. The, there's going to be yeah. a lot more facts are going to come out that we don't know yet. So well, we'll and have the, to see. Well, and the one person he shot in the arm, that person had a gun. Yeah. One of the people he shot had a, had a gun and was right. and was going after him. You know, but surprisingly, that person didn't shoot him because you know they probably had the control or wherewithal to to think about what if I shoot this kid, you know. But you know, so the the first person he shot. What's interesting and what's probably really bad for him is that we have video proof of it. And the problem was the person jumped him, hit him with a skateboard, and when Kyle turned the gun on him, you clearly see the person backing away with their hands in the air. And then he shoots him in the, you know, in the chest. The point is, if you point a gun at someone and they back away and they're not going to do anything about it, it's no longer self-defense anymore. 
you know, it's the same thing we're arguing about the police doing is the police point a gun at someone, they put their hands up and get it or whatever. And then you shoot them. And it's like, well, what, why the hell did you just shoot them? They, they, they're not, you know, are you going to say, well, he was super emotional. He just got attacked. So he shot. Well, that's why he shouldn't have a gun. You know, because you can get emotional and you can kill someone because they hit you with a skateboard. That's why you shouldn't have a gun. You know, I mean, you have the right to bear arms in this country, but you have to also bear the responsibility for how you use those arms. You know, you cannot, it it allows you to rise up as a militia against a tyrannical government, but it does not allow you to become a rogue vigilante, you know, shooting people you don't agree with. Well, yeah, I mean, I say I totally agree. I think the the, the key is going to be uh, people will be examining these videos very carefully, and obviously they'll take testimony from people around there too. There's probably a zillion witnesses, so there's a lot of facts to come out. And we, I don't think we have we just have the tip of the iceberg right now, so it, it's hard to really say exactly what the ending is going to be. And to be honest with you, I, the videotape that I saw. Of the last two people he shot, they were chasing him, and even the guy who hit him in the head with the skateboard, it would all happen really quickly, like only a second or two. So uh, I, I think he's going to have a pretty good self-defense claim yeah, uh, I'm, on I'm, those I'm, last I'm, two. I'm just I'm hoping, sure. obviously, the charge is about murdering the first person, and I'm going to use the word murder. Yeah, the first person I I haven't I haven't honestly seen the videotape on that one. Well, so I don't think I don't, there I, I don't think there is any videotape of that one because I think it happened before people were yeah aware so of the I, filming. That, so that first one I think he's more at risk. The the latter two I think he's got a good. When I say good, I mean from a legal standpoint, not from <laughs> I mean, a moral standpoint. I mean, he's obviously, good, he still fired. A, he's still a seventeen-year-old with an assault rifle. Out in public, well, he, firing well, he, on people. Well, he will be guilty. He will be found guilty of some charges. One of the charges he will be found guilty of is, is the underage carrying of the firearm. He'll be he will be found guilty of that. Now, whether there's any jail time or not, I don't know. I'm I'm not an attorney there in Kenosha, well, but well, and I think the I think the first one is an interesting one because I think honestly it becomes it, you could it could be so easily registered as premeditated. I mean, the man had to drive you know, 40 minutes in a car with an assault rifle to a place that he had no other reason to be, you know, there has to be a thought where you're like, he goes there and of course he kills someone. It sounds Mm kind of premeditated. I mean, not like you had a person you wanted to kill necessarily, but that you went there and you went, oh, I'm so excited to use this, you know. I'm going to use this on someone kind of moment. Or at least, I mean, you're, you're willing to. I mean, the reality is it. As far as I'm concerned, that makes you deadly enough that you shouldn't be walking on the streets. I mean, this kid's going to become a police officer someday if they don't tag some good felonies to him. And that, that terrifies the crap out of me. Well, like I say, we'll we'll see. Like, I was just commenting on those last two where we had the videotape. And yeah. I'm just saying, I think he's got a strong case. But, but everything, the bigger picture to me is the fact they shouldn't have been out there. None of those vigilantes should have been out there to begin with because... You know, what happened was almost kind of inevitable. Yeah. And the, and the other part of that, too, is all these guys are when I, when I, the overarching thing over all these police matters. And I said it earlier, and I'll keep saying it till my grave, is the actions, whether it's a, a police officer, a vigilante, anybody, your homeowner, the, the actions you take have to be commensurate with the threat. 
Okay, that's really the bottom line. These guys who were walking around, these vigilantes, they were all carrying lethal force. They did not have any non-lethal weapons. You know, they didn't have a baton, or they didn't have a taser, or they didn't have a flash grenade, or, you know, tear gas. I mean, there were no, they didn't have rubber bullets or anything. Nobody had non-lethal force. Well, everyone's walking around with lethal force only. Yeah. And the crimes that were being committed, and they are serious crimes. So the crimes that were being committed was property destruction or maybe looting. So, yeah. you know, if you, you here's a guy who drives with lethal force and drives, like you say, up to Kenosha. What does he think is going to happen? If someone breaks into a store, you're going to kill him? Yeah, I mean, the reality is it's not... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, there has not been a whole lot of noted presence of heavy arms at at these protests you know i mean the worst thing someone had typically i mean you said one guy had a gun but that might have just been some resident who decided to intervene but i mean he'd be one of the only cases of someone actually having a gun on the protest side that i've seen well you know i I, it's hard to speculate like that gun was a handgun the guy had you're talking about yeah a lot of people could have these, you know, in their belts or you know, hidden somehow, so they might not show up on the videotape that we see that easily. Who knows? A lot of them may have guns. Well, of course. But but I mean, that makes it even worse when you have vigilantes out there. Yeah. Because they're going to be drawn on each other. Um, but it all, it all gets back to he shouldn't have been out there to begin with. He was underage. Yeah. None of these vigilantes should have been out there. They're not trained. They're not vetted. And they're only carrying lethal force. And much as I... I Detest looting. I think everyone's against looting. Yeah. Everyone's against property damage, and you got to figure out a way to stop it. But but having a bunch of vigilantes, untrained and unvetted, out there with only lethal force, is a recipe for disaster. You know, there's going to be people get killed. Uh, so you got to you know whether you blame the the Kenosha police or the mayor or you know all the officials up there. I mean that's up for discussion, but. Well, yeah, and allow vigilantes to control the city. Well, and you have them, and they keep talking about how, uh, you know, how businesses are so affected by looting, and how, well, if you were, if it was your business front, you'd act differently. And I know somebody had posed that question to uh, Penzi's Spices. Um, I don't know if you'd seen much about that story, but they are, I think, based around the Milwaukee area, and they've got a store in Naperville, I think. Um. And basically someone had posed a question to them about it. You know, if it, if that was your storefront, you'd feel differently. And he said, he said, would I? Uh, basically the CEO had sent out a, a huge thoughtful letter talking about how um, the property damage isn't, you know, it, it's not a concern to him. The human life is a, is a much higher thing. Now, obviously Penzi has been a much uh, hated, you know, They've been a much non-fan to the Trump administration and and everything, so they've been very outspoken about about um, about all that. Um, and they actually suggested uh, the the CEO had suggested that they would essentially in quotes loot their own Kenosha store. <laughs> the, the, well, he said he said, wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be fun if we just looted our own store? And then they started asking people in Kenosha where they could send the spices and various things from their store to like organizations that could use it. Hmm. And they would basically loot their own store inventory or whatever. Um, and he's been very supportive of the Milwaukee Bucks and their stances to, you know, to boycott and, um, and just amazing. He, yeah, Bill Penzi sent out like one of the best 
letters. I, I recommend anyone, all of the two people who listen to this podcast, I, I, I would definitely recommend <laughs> that you go read Bill Penzi's letter that he penned um, regarding the protests and everything, because it's, it's one of the most beautifully written things I've ever seen to tell you how it is from somebody's perspective, where it's not like, Bill Gates telling you money doesn't matter to him. I mean, it's someone with some it's someone with some money, but not not like a huge billionaire who doesn't care about money and yada yada, you know. But it's someone who's telling you how it how they really feel as a store owner and as a business owner. Um but it but it but it's a definitely it's, it's a such a beautifully I I can't even do it justice from description, but it is a very well-written um piece and everything. Um well, I mean, to cap that off, I'm just I'm glad to see somebody sticking their neck out, and I'm glad the Bears have done the disavowing for me of of Brian Erlacher because I told because I've sat here over time, and I know stats are gonna now I'm gonna get those two people to stop listening to the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, after my friend sent me the picture of Mike Singletary and Brian Erlacher, I decided to tell him that I thought both of them were slightly overrated. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean, let me be clear, they're good. But I would argue that Brian Urlacher and Mike Singletary both played with some of the best defenses you've ever seen at times. Mike Singletary definitely played. I mean, he played on a on a defense that is absolutely loaded with with Hall of Fame talent and everything. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he was a bad football player or something. But I think I don't think he's. I think what's interesting is I don't think he's overrated, but I do think Brian Urlacher is a little overrated. But because I think Singletary doesn't get as much attention as the whole defense does, from you know the '80s defenses and everything. So I think he's about where he needs to be. But occasionally Brian Urlacher, I do think he's slightly overrated. But then he starts saying stuff like this, and I have no problem telling you that he's overrated. Well, like I said, I think you have to be careful not to. Uh, confuse or conflate, you know, someone's performance on the field with their their personal opinions. You know, it's kind of hard to do sometimes. But well, I mean, he got juked by Tom Brady, so I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, any, <laughs> anybody can have a bad play. I, I know. The one, the one thing I would say about Erlacher, uh, and I don't know if it's uh, proven uh, scientifically, but just from from my eyeballs watching him years ago. Uh, I got to tell you, especially a guy who's 6'4", 248, he's listed, uh, but he's the fastest linebacker I've ever seen. I mean, he's a guy who could have played safety and did play safety in college, I guess. Uh, so he's probably the fastest linebacker I ever saw. And uh, I, you know, I, I thought he was it was a, hall, a legitimate Hall of Famer. I, I, I you know, I, it's hard, but I, I don't want to let any uh, personal differences I have with his opinions, you know, color my my view on how good he was or, or, or yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I know. I, I guess, you know, I, I have just conflicting memories of his, of his performances. And honestly, I think it's just conflating him with some of the years where the bears defense did not hold up so well, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, but it's good to see that it's good to see that his personal influence is being dealt with accordingly by the bears. But obviously I know that they're not going to, they're not going to confuse his performance with his social stance, but they just want to make it clear that his social stance does not reflect the way they feel about it. Um, well, I know that's about the last thing I've got on the NFL front. I'm super excited about it, but I know you've got a few other 
uh, sports topics that you wanted to touch on. Uh, I know baseball is one of them because they're still kind of hanging on there. Uh, basketball, uh, they're restarting their playoffs today. Not restarting, but they're they're commencing. Uh, putting the they're coming yeah, back to the playoffs. Some, yeah, they had taken some time off. Uh, I guess the, the the thing I would say about baseball is that it's been remarkable that they've gotten this far into the season. They're past the halfway mark, believe it or not. Different teams have played different numbers of games. We've had teams play as many as like 33 games. A lot of them have played 32 games. Uh, a lot of teams are in the process of making up games. I, I really like the idea of the, the seven-inning doubleheaders this year. It's been a really great idea not to tax the bullpens. And I, I like it anyway just because it's not such a long day, uh, even as a fan. So it's remarkable they've been able to get this far. And although uh, some teams like St. Louis is, have been uh, hindered greatly by the virus, but they're they are catching up, surprisingly. I don't know if they'll be able to play their full complement of 60 games. But they should be able to get in, I would think, at least uh, hopefully 55 or more, which would probably be enough that you, know, you can you can base the division winners in the playoffs on percentages after that many games. Yeah. Now, from a Chicago standpoint, uh, things are going actually somewhat uh, in line with what we thought. Cubs are in first place, only three games, but still in first place. Of course, the whole rest of the division is below 500 at this point. So I, I do think the Cubs are going to be in for a fight of their life, though. Well, hopefully they can hang on. But, you know, St. Louis is 11-12 and 12 right now. That's not, going to, that's not going to continue. They're going to be way over 500 by the end of the year. So Cubs are in a dogfight. Sox are in some of a dogfight, but Sox are doing really well. 20 and 12, they're actually tied, three-way tie for first place in the AL Central. Uh, they've won nine of their last 10 games. Their only loss was to the Cubs uh, during that time period, although they did beat the Cubs two out of three at Wrigley Field. So going to be an exciting season for Chicago fans. Hopefully they'll be able to maintain their leads or stay near first place, if not make it as a, as a wild card. But the main point I want to make is that I, I think they've really done a good job with the pandemic going on, getting as far as they have. I, I honestly thought they would have a hard time getting past two weeks, and especially when they started having a bunch of COVID cases. Uh, particularly in Miami and St. Louis, uh, I thought it was going to be a big problem getting past two, three weeks. But they're doing a remarkable job, and we'll keep our fingers crossed, be able to finish finish the season. And uh, like I say, it should be exciting for Chicago fans if they can you know, continue, uh, you know, getting into the hopefully getting into the playoffs. Hopefully, both of them. Yeah, I know they're talking about some some of the purists. Uh for the league are starting to get a little more nervous because they're, because they're worried that, um, I know Tim Kirkjian had been a uh, question that people are starting to say that they actually like, like you were saying that people are really getting into the, the shortened down innings and, and, and stuff like that. And people are actually starting to, you know, uh, like the, you know, them attacking the length of the games and they're actually kind of liking, <laughs> the, liking the way it turns out. And, and and he was just talking about how he was really scared about the fact that going forward, you know, it might become more of a permanent change, yeah, you know, kind of thing because it, because it appeals to people more. I mean, how often do you have that kind of time to sit around and, and wait for this? Um, 
wait for these nine inning games and, you know, and then playing double headers or playing less games in general, you know, not playing the full 182 or 162, sorry. Um, you know, and he was like, I don't think those are going to be permanent. And I was like, well, you got to be really careful because youth really kind of drives the, the way these things are dictated and everything. And I think if that appeals to more people, I mean, you might start to see it like that. Well, they have made some changes to your point. So, for example, an intentional walk, they don't throw the ball anymore. They just send the guy down to first base. Yeah. And they made a few minor changes like that. But those are all changes that aren't really going to affect the record book. That's what uh, Kirchhen's worried about. Yeah. Uh, as far as on a permanent basis, having seven-inning doubleheaders, or, for example, the other big rule is they start a man on second base when you get into extra innings, which is only yeah. the eighth inning for a doubleheader. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if those changes will be will be permanent because uh, although they could be, but I, I don't know if those changes will be permanent because uh, because of the record book. Uh, if they do make them permanent, you got to remember two things. One is is that in a non-COVID year, there's going to be no doubleheaders, so we're not going to have to worry about the sending seven inning game, and it's, and it's due to money. You know, for decades and decades up through the '60s and even the early '70s. There were lots of doubleheaders. So if you were the Cubs, for example, or the White Sox or any other team, you probably would play 20 doubleheaders a year or more. Almost every Sunday was a doubleheader. And one of the reasons was they would give an extra day off during the week. So the players would actually have like two days off during the week. And I, even as a little kid, I remember, gee, how long can this continue? Because, you know, the owners are basically giving you a free game if you're a fan. Well, it, it, it was part of baseball history for 70 years or more, but eventually they they said, no, you know, with the rising player cost due to free agency and so forth, they changed it so that there were less and less, and finally, really no doubleheaders. The only, the only doubleheader you ever see now, in a, you know, in a non-COVID year is where there's a, a desperation involved. You know, the game gets rained out or whatever, and... The team is not going to come back to that city, so they'll they'll schedule a doubleheader the next day and sometimes. But but doubleheaders are are very rare. Um, starting the man on second, eh, they might do that, but they might have to change the way the, some of the scoring is. Like for example, if the man on second scores in the extra inning, I don't think that should be an earned run charged against the pitcher. So they might do something like that, but then I think you got to look at the the scoring. Now, as far as your point about the 162 game season, it's very unlikely that's going to change. That's the least likely change because it's all about money. You know, we're playing, we're not playing 162 games right now because the fans want it. Fans are probably <laughs> fan, fan, fans are probably happy with a 60 game schedule. What, what, what little is what little of the fan base is left? Yeah, they're definitely not playing it for them. No, I mean, the fans would be happy. Eh, 60 is probably not enough, but the fans would be happy with a 100-game season. They'd yeah. be totally happy, 120 oh, yeah. at most. But it's it's all about money. Of course, for, for many years, it was a 154-game schedule, which was still too much. But that was back in an era where, uh, you know, there was really wasn't much going on entertainment-wise to compete with it. Uh, but now things are different. I mean, I think people get bored during the season. It's so long. Um, but it's not going to change because of money. They they yeah. want they want revenue from the fans for 162 games and TV revenue. So I, that one is is not going to change. Period. End of story. Um, so there might be some changes. Bottom line, to your point, but 
you know, I, I don't think they're going to really affect the record book that much. They'll be. Yeah. Whether they need to do a scoring change or whatever. They're, they're, yeah, that's fair. Nothing to worry about. You know, Tell you, Tim to take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, baseball's not really known for making uh, too big a leaps at a time anyway. Um, well, to their, I will say one thing. To their credit, baseball is really the only sport that really pines over their record book. Yeah. You know, I mean, people know, sports fans, I mean, they can recite all kinds of baseball statistics that they probably couldn't for a lot of other sports. Um, you know, these other sports, they've made some some real major changes. You know, football changed the length of their season quite a number back in 78. They're talking about changing it again. They yeah. want to add a game or two. Although, they don't, they don't, although they're, going they don't the wrong, they're going the wrong direction. They're going the opposite direction of the other people. They're, they're adding games. Well, it's the same thing with the NBA and the NHL, you know. But I'd, I'd offer were, that they want it. I'd offer that fans want that more than they would want other leagues expanding their season. Yeah. Oh, you're right. But the, for, for many years, for decades and decades, for example, the NHL season was only 50 games. Yeah, it's 82 now. Yeah. That even back in the 60s and early 70s, it was it was only 70 games. And now it's 82. Same thing with the NBA. You know, that's expanded their games over the years as well. So it's all about money. Have more games, more money. But all these seasons, not the NFL season, but the other three leagues, their seasons are too long. There, there are too many games. Yeah. In fact, I, I remember there was a, a lockout in the NHL. I think it was 2013. And the season didn't start until January. Normally the season would start in early October. The season didn't start until early January. And then it concluded like near the end of April in the playoffs. The Blackhawks actually won the Stanley Cup that year. And I remember thinking, boy, you know, we should do this every year. <laughs> yeah, it, was only, <laughs> it was only 48 games. Uh, I mean, you could say 50, you know, 55 maybe. But, I mean, we don't need 82 games. Yeah. We don't need 82 games in the NBA either, but it's not going to change because of money. Well, of course. Well, it becomes too hard to becomes too hard to follow them anymore. I mean, the reality is, like, as a you know, as a guy with a, with a family, the reality is something like baseball. I mean, it's impossible to do that. And half the time, they play in the afternoon anyway, and you end up in a in a situation where there's there's just no way for you to keep up with it. Uh, same thing with. I mean, with bat, you know, it's one thing when you're like, okay, one day a week, I really need to to watch this game or blah blah blah, and it's completely different to be like, okay, well, I need to watch all 82 of these games, you know, five times a week, you know, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you know, who's got that kind of time on their hands, you know, and and I realized, you know, for the most part, a lot of those sports are not trying to appeal to me; they're trying to. You know, you're appealing to people with more time, you know, more youth. And it's about money, too. I mean, it's money in its own way. But Well, I think a lot of times people may not watch the whole game, but they'll watch part of it. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of people just watch the last, you know, two, three innings of the game or yeah. maybe the second half of the game. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, most people don't watch all the games, but, but a lot of people will watch part of a game or they listen to it on the radio when they're driving home from work. Or to work, or depending on what time they go, um, and uh, yeah, there's no doubt there's a lot of people that just kind of follow the standings and hardly watch at all. All right, well, I think that's uh, that's the main bit. I mean, where we've gone over 
the NFL. We've talked. We've touched on baseball and such. Is there anything, um, anything else particularly weighing on your conscience to put on here? Well, that sounds kind of heavy, you know, weighing on your conscience. <laughs> Maybe slightly dramatic, but uh... yeah, we have. Uh, like I say the big excitement was the was the football, and of course we have baseball. There's no soccer at all. Uh, well, no, no English soccer. There's some American soccer. That's true. But, um, yeah, I, I think we've covered most of it. I, I think we'll have a lot more to talk about once the uh, NFL season starts. Mm-hmm. I had one, one kind of odd thing I saw was just non-sports related. But I happened to just see uh, earlier this morning, I was watching an old movie from the early 1930s. And I frequently like to go on the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, mm-hmm. while I'm watching one of these old movies and see some of the stats on the different actors and actresses and this and that. Because they're so, so long ago. But uh, you want to talk about irony. One of the things I thought was, was interesting is uh, one of the actors in this movie that I saw, his name was Colin Clive. And uh, probably didn't hear too much about him because he died pretty young. Uh, he died in 1937 at the age of 37. So didn't really get much of a chance to do a whole lot. But... You probably would know Colin Clive because he's famous for playing Dr. Frankenstein in both the original movie Frankenstein in 1931 and Bride of Frankenstein. Hmm. So Colin Clive was Dr. Frankenstein. He made some other movies too. Yeah. So he was well known. But anyway, I'll tell you what's kind of bizarre is that in 1935, now he is, in 1935, they made a movie called Clive of India. Clive of India is about a guy basically who in the, in the mid 1700s kind of started the East India Company and uh, started the the era of British rule over over India okay the good gentleman's name was Robert Clive now the interesting thing about it is that Colin Clive is a direct descendant of Robert Clive hmm. and he was in the movie but the <laughs> irony is he didn't play Robert Clive. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course not. That'd be too, was, be too on he, the nose. He played somebody called Captain Johnstone, but uh, Ronald Coleman, who was a more famous actor back then, yeah. played Robert Clive. But I thought that was interesting that, 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 that Dr. Frankenstein, he actually is a direct descendant of the guy in this movie, but he didn't play him. Though. They had somebody else play him. So uh just one of those those odd things that happened. Anyway, he died in 1937, really of, of illnesses. Uh, they say it was pneumonia, but a lot, it was really brought on by severe alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, he always was um, severely, severely depressed and uh, drank all, all the time. In fact, he got cast in his first movie, Journey's End, which was <laughs> about an alcoholic officer in the Army. <laughs> also and, a uh, on the nose. The guy who cast him in the movie, the director, was James Whale, the same guy who cast him in Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And when asked years later why he picked him for the role, he said that he just think it would be fascinating to cast the man who was a genuine alcoholic in the role. <laughs> see, how <he> would, <laughs> see how he would, uh, you know, do the role, which I guess he did quite well. Hmm. Nice. So, just being yourself, I guess. But that's probably, I just want to conclude with one thing. This is why I bring this up. 
you may wonder why, okay, we had Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Then all of a sudden we go to Son of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, all these other movies. Till finally, of course, Eben Costello met him. Eben Costello meets Frankenstein. Eben Costello meets everybody at the end of their career. And uh, But the main reason why, we, why they didn't continue on with Dr. Frankenstein after that Bride of Frankenstein, the main reason they didn't continue was because he died. Because you know, Clive died. <laughs> Well, that, that'll, that'll put a kibosh on your series really quick. So and the monster didn't get him, but the booze. Yeah. The booze got him. And uh, I'll leave you with one final tidbit for people who who like to watch uh, video. Well, any, you, anyone listening, I want I want this to be known that this is, this is not an uncommon uh, thread of thoughts here. This is, this is not an uncommon <laughs> segment. Uh, sometimes it's on the cutting room floor, but... But this is not an uncommon segment. Well, this one better not get cut. No, and I, I'm just I'm just kidding. But one final thought is on uh, for you sharp people who want to watch video. This is absolutely true. I verified it. The original ending for Bride of Frankenstein had Doctor Frankenstein get killed. You know, if if anyone remembers the movie at all, what happens is the monster and Dr. Frankenstein and his uh, bride, well, not just the bride of Frankenstein, but I mean his literal wife, Dr. Frankenstein's wife, they're all in this watchtower, which serves as a laboratory, and the monster's about to pull a, a lever down, which is going to blow up the whole place. And in the original way, it was actually shot this way, they let, or they had uh, Dr. Frankenstein die in the explosion. But... Uh, in those days, they used to trot out movies to test audiences. So you actually would go to the theater and see a movie, and then you'd fill out a questionnaire. What did you like? What didn't you like? Well, they had a very strong disapproval that Dr. Frankenstein died because <laughs> he was viewed as, as a good guy, yeah. you know, a tortured soul, but a good man. So they went back and reshot it so that the monster allows the doctor to leave. And be with his his uh, wife, mm-hmm. and so they're they're fleeing, and then then the place blows up. So I say, well, why in the world are you bringing all that up? So if you if you have the video or the DVD, take a look at that scene where the monster pulls the lever and blows the place up. You will see the characters I mentioned: the monster, the bride of Frankenstein, Doctor Pretorius. But you'll also see Doctor Frankenstein in there when it gets blown up, <laughs> because. Because they didn't reshoot that scene, <laughs> you know, it would have been too expensive. Uh, now I, it's I from love how easy it is to pull things, pull the pull the wool over people's eyes back then. Yeah, so no, I mean it's from far away. It's not a close up because you well, have yeah. to be far enough away to see all four people in there. But yeah, it's very it's very evident. He's at the bottom left of the screen. It's very evident that he gets blown up with the rest of them. <laughs> So because it would have been too expensive, they didn't reshoot that scene. They figured nobody would notice. So anyway, one of those one of those little flaws in there that uh, in the old days they they didn't they didn't want to spend the money to fix it. But that's anyway that's the story of Colin Clive, a really a really good <laughs> tortured soul, who was the original uh, Doctor Frankenstein in those old Universal movies. Well, on that note, uh, I think it's a, it's a good time to close out. I'll leave with one more thing. Upon looking through the Internet, I saw that the NFL is still debating uh, postseason bubbles. 
I don't want to go too yeah. far into it because I'm assuming it's just a debate and obviously they got to get that far. But I wanted to leave that thought as the ending for this. Um, uh, I really appreciate anyone anyone uh, listening who gave us the time, gave us your ears for a little while. Um, I'm not going to tell you where you can listen to us because you're already doing it. But um, uh, if you go to Twitter, we're on the STG podcast. Um and on Facebook, we're on there too, under Surviving the Ground. Um, and as, as always, uh, just it's been a pleasure, uh, you know, talking to no one at this point in time other than other than my father. But anyone uh, who listens to it, I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, uh, Dad, for joining on as usual and uh, co-captaining the ship. Uh careening through icebergs and uh <laughs> just trying to stay afloat somehow yeah well everybody stay safe out there i know uh you know we all face challenges of one kind or another and of course we appreciate everybody on the front lines and uh you know we'll we'll, we'll get through this there's no doubt about it mm-hmm. uh, we just have to stick together here and wear your damn mask <laughs> yeah well that's a big important first step I think that's that's really a great great advice all right thank you so much everybody uh have a good day night whenever you're listening to this <laughs> <laughs>